Welcome to the Pagan Christian Podcast. I'm Alex, the Pagan Christian. It's a podcast for Christians, pagans, and everyone in between. In a world where Christians look more and more like pagans and non-Christians look more and more like Christians, I'm just one such Christ follower trying to find out what we, as the church, can learn from the world and hopefully say some things about what the world can learn from the church. Strap in. We're talking about politics. Hey, everybody. Uh, so we've got, we're continuing Spice Week with our set of spicy takes and spicy ideas of all different kinds. Uh, I didn't intend to talk about Halloween, you know, uh, with a week leading into Halloween and then talk about, uh, political engagement the week leading into the election, but I'm not, like, upset about it, you know, so... Uh, the work, the Lord works in mysterious ways, uh, that he does, that he does. So, um, yeah, let's break some stuff down. I wanted to talk about political theology for a long time. Uh, there was like a set of topics that I was just like, man, no one is really like putting all of these dots together. You know what I mean? And, I just feel like, you know, partially because of like my background, I had to think about like, what is it, what does state engagement for a Christian mean for someone that was consistently uh, in debates about public policy? You know, those were questions I was wrapped up in all the time because I did a thing called policy debate in college. And I think for, you know, not just policy debaters, But for all Christians, we really should question our role in respect to public policy and government and the state, especially in a world where they are not acting in the most Christian of ways. Um, I reserve the right to clarify. (laughs) Um, So part of today's episode is titled Breaking the Idols of Red Elephants, Blue Donkeys, and golden calves. And that's intentional. In fact, I thought it was almost obvious, but I had mentioned this idea to a few people and almost everyone's like, what are you talking about? Like animals and colors and like, it's like every animal, the colors of the rainbow. Um, Yeah, I guess this isn't as obvious as it was in the sort of jazzy inspired, you know, wing of my mind. But Uh, Red elephants, of course, you know, the color red, the symbol of the elephant is the symbol of the Republican Party. Blue, donkeys, Democratic Party, and then golden calf is a reference to uh, Exodus 32 and, you know, the literal idol that the Hebrews created so that they could worship something because they were very attached to the physical world and the natural world, but not the spiritual and supernatural parts of the world that literally led them out of a persecution by a tyrannical Egyptian state. And Moses, God and Moses kind of brought hell fury down upon that idol, the idol of the golden calf, Uh, It was sort of like, depending on like how you read it and what sort of theological wing you come from, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it was like well-meaning because they wanted to, you know, they wanted to sort of pay respect to God, but they didn't exactly know how. So they smelted down all of their gold and created something that they could kind of pay homage to. Mm, Don't know about that, Chief. Uh, Partly because 
or partly of why I don't know about that is because the purpose of like God's anger, Moses's anger was that there is a specific object that was being used to fill in for the worship and the adoration of God's chosen people. And instead of being willing to like sort of see God for what God was, which was beyond, you know, physical calcification at that time, uh, they chose to take it upon themselves and to not listen to what was specifically instructed to them. Uh, thus, you know, continuing, starting, etc., a strenuous relationship between God and God's chosen people. Not much has changed in, you know, a few thousand years since that's occurred. Uh, some people debate that that was maybe about 4,000 years ago. Um, yeah, and America is almost exactly the same. You know, the calf is maybe a donkey or an elephant, and the colors shifted from gold to red or blue because apparently we don't even, you know, if you're going to worship idols, you don't even want the expensive-looking ones anymore. So, rip. Uh, but... Not a lot has changed. And I think a lot of people don't think that they are worshiping, you know, political party or a politician or even by participating in politics. They don't think that they're worshiping the politics, etc. And I'm here to just radically disagree. Uh, I am going to come from a contestation that says that the political, the government, etc. It is a religion. It has all of the tenets of what a religion does. And as a result, it needs to be uh, decried as a false religion in the face of the one true triune God in the Christian understanding of the world. Uh, we have a lot of stuff that I'm going to go through. Almost every sort of minor topic could be its own separate 40-minute podcast uh, you know, I've thought about doing just a straight up political theology series to get all of these thoughts out of my head. There's a lot of research that went into this. It might not even sound like that because I'm covering such a large spread, but, um, you know, I want to, I want to at least get us a little taster, a little taste of the wine. So we know what wine tastes like, even though there's thousands of berries, that or grapes wow berries <laughs> thousands of grapes that make you know an almost infinite variety of wines uh, s similarly there is an almost infinite amount of takes regarding political theology and the christian worldview but we ain't got that kind of time right now plus y'all don't want to hear me talk chat that long do you i mean if you do you want to hear me talk more about something specific in regards to yeah, you know, I don't know, like politics or whatever. You know, we could do we could do something. We could work something out. Hit me up. We'll do it. We'll make it happen. All right. So the central question today is: Should Christians vote? The answer is easy. No. Um. All right. Good time. Good talk. No, we're still recording. Okay. Um. Yeah, the answer seems easy to me. Uh. But it seems less easy for a lot of other people. So. You know, everything that I talk about today should support the claim that Christians should not vote. Either voting doesn't mean anything in the sense that it doesn't actually effectuate change or voting has an adverse relationship, a negative effect on who you are as a person that you shouldn't do it 
for spiritual health reasons. You know, these are the reasons why I think you should not vote. So the first idea is I think it's important to condemn the heresy of political theology. We'll talk about this in very practical terms. First is there is no such thing as a Christian candidate. It's not to say that Donald Trump, Joe Biden, or Joe Jorgensen, um, I guess if you count Jorgensen as like a legitimate candidate, by which in almost all cases she's not. I don't make the rules. Whatever. Uh, don't at me. I don't care. Uh, you know, Trump, Biden, they might personally be Christian. I'm not super convinced, especially in the case of Trump. Um, a couple of reasons. First is, you know, 500 kids separated from their parents at the border you know, traumatized psychologically at that age, the amount of trauma that's being levied upon them. You have 12-year-old Mexicana girls taking care of infant children, neither of which know if they'll ever see their parents again. All odds is that they won't because those parents have been deported. Where have they been deported to? Country doesn't keep very good records on that. So, uh, yeah, not great. Not a good start. You know, hard to love your neighbor when you're creating such a divisive um you know, approach to the border. We're also going to talk about the border, but we're not, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Gotta, gotta pace myself. It's a lot, it's a long podcast we got here. Uh, the second, there's been a radical increase in hate crimes. As it turns out, a lot of the people that like Donald Trump are literal white supremacists. Indiana Jones didn't die so that Nazis could be rolling the streets, you know, patrolling the streets again. It's not a world that he fought to preserve. You know, Indiana Jones didn't fight for your sins. I mean, he didn't fight for your sins either way, but there was an arc involved in one of them, and that was against Nazis. You know, the point is, I'm not saying that Christians should punch Nazis per se, but I'm not not saying it. That's horrible. Please pray for me. Uh, Potentially. I don't know. To what extent are we morally offended by Nazis? I don't know. I'm just saying. It's... Although, you know, there are like universal Christian rules about like, you know, nonviolence, forgiveness, etc. Self-defense is a thing, though. Nazis love to attack defenses. Anyways, other things. Trump gassed a church because he wanted a photo op. Very hard to imagine you're part of a Christian clergy in a world where you're tear gassing people that are in front of it so you can get a personal photograph. I have no idea what's a bigger, you know, monument to egoism and narcissism. Not that those are separate, Um, you know, in a world where you're doing that, which is literally a divisive, you know, mentality. I feel like I also don't need to explain some of these impacts. They're independently bad and you should not be a fan of them as a result. Uh, Of course, Trump is known for his lies. Simple run through a fact checker will, uh, you know, spit out, you know, hundreds oftentimes uh, or at least tens of tens of you know, failures and miscommunications. Now, if it was like one or two, or if it happened like in one or two speeches, maybe I'd have a little bit more grace. The point is, is that these are repeat issues and Trump should know better. He's the literal president. (laughs) Like, I don't, I, if I make a mistake as just a teacher, then I, you know, I have hell to pay. And this is the person who's allegedly the leader of the free world. And he gets to make all kinds of mistakes and doesn't really have to pay any consequences. That seems like a problem to me. I don't know, especially when the Bible says, thou shall not lie. Mm-mm. I don't know. Don't know about that. 
Uh, second is the coronavirus. You know, Intel suggests that there was a phone call where he said that he knew what the coronavirus could have become, and he actively downplayed it for months. Like, for, he knew in January, didn't say anything till March, and people died. A lot of people died. And other countries that took the sort of controls and the measures that we're doing now were able to get away, not scot-free, but a lot better and we didn't you know people lost people i lost people um you know lying has an impact you shouldn't lie uh of course there's sexual sins you know he's talked he's public he's privately bragged about you know grabbing people that aren't his wife by the genitals um he's cheated on his wife with porn stars not that it would be different if it wasn't a porn star but i think it's kind of proof to point out that there's not like a sexual privacy to his life which is of course contrary to the christian you know sexual ethic which shares that sexuality should be performed between married persons so he's going outside of his marriage these aren't christian things that one should could be doing um of course he denies and is part consistently part of climate denial science not a good way to steward the earth if you're literally poisoning it from almost every conceivable angle this might seem like i'm just like a liberal that's peddling all of the kool-aid or whatever and what have you but that's not to say that biden doesn't have his issues either of course biden is hard to settle on a policy because he's sort of like a career democrat um you know, he consistently changes his views, not because he learns more from those views, but because they're no longer strategically valuable to them. No better sort of example than his positions on race. Uh, even now, where he's historically a bit kind of defamed for his role in exacerbating the war on drugs, specifically against black and Latino individuals in the early 90s. Well, not even just the early 90s, but all throughout the 90s and up till now. Um, because of policies that he created. Uh, you know, he then brings Kamala Harris on to his, his running mate, someone who's not only uh, imprisoned a ton of black men in her state of California, where she was attorney general, but also uh, fought for heavier sentencing on low-impact crimes like marijuana. The entire point of the marijuana debate, it's kind of a quick side note, is that it is low to no impact, you know, lesser impact theoretically than alcohol. Uh, however, it was used at a time when drug use was going down at the end of the 70s. Uh, it was used by the Reagan administration to create a theoretical war on drugs to do two things. One, drum up political support so that he could stay in power. And two, create a narrative where there was good guys and bad guys. And guess who the bad guys ended up being? Yeah, it's the ones that the FBI planted drugs in their neighborhoods, i.e. black and brown people, which reintroduced racism, not reintroduced, but sort of like reaffirmed racism at a sort of specific violent and policy level. Uh, Biden is not only a part of that, but Kamala is the sort of legacy of that. You know, if Biden is like part of like the sort of older origins that you know, continue the timeline. She is what the timeline looks like up to date. Uh, not great. Not great for your representation, bro. Um, where are we at with Biden? Uh, yeah, I mean, Trump's bad for like separating 500 kids at the border, but like those cages were created 
and the amount of deportations, you know, if that's your shtick, were almost twice as much under the Obama administration when Biden was VP. It's kind of hard to ignore these things because where Trump is bad, I don't want to say Biden is worse, but Biden is also bad. Biden also does things that are uniquely bad. Now, of course, the like liberal approach to race is softer. It's like, you know, we're going to make it look prettier, even though what you're making look prettier is a graveyard. Um, you know, so maybe hate crimes don't go up in the sort of traditional sense, but racism still masked instead of saying like, hey, we have a bunch of populations here calling to defund the police. Biden says, hmm. I don't know about that. I don't want to upset my voting base, which includes police persons. Uh, I'm instead going to fund the police with, you know, new cameras and um, what's the word? Uh, more training, because what stops a racist person is better education, which is like not the case. It's historically never been the case. Uh, I could kind of go on about this, of course, last, I don't want to say lastly, but uh, abortion's pretty brutal. Uh, now that's an issue that they're both pretty bad on because Trump says that he's against abortion, but has increased funding to Planned Parenthood in the last year. Pretty brutal in a world where you're saying that you plan on removing Planned Parenthood, but then you're, now you're giving them more money. Biden, of course, says that he is religiously, as a Roman Catholic, against uh, abortion, but he doesn't feel like it's his role as a policy person as a politician, a policy person, uh, as a politician to do anything about it. It kind of goes back to this question about how ethics informs policy. If you don't think that what you think is right and wrong is something that you should fight for, then you're kind of always at the mercy of outside interests. You know, maybe who puts as much more money in your packet or who has the loudest voice is part of like a larger reason why I actually I'm very critical of the concept of democracy. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess we could talk about that now. Well, no, we'll talk about that in a second. But some people think that the answer is obviously and logically we need a vote third party. It's not just Republicans and Democrats. We need someone for the people. And a lot of those times people think libertarian is the answer. I really honestly don't understand the qualitative difference between libertarians and Republicans. Large, you know, large reason being is because they both care more for private corporations. And as a Christian... We, we think that everyone automatically has a sin nature, which means they're more likely to be corrupted in sort of a human natural form, which means that if you're just giving people natural seductions, things like money, etc., you're more likely to abuse and take advantage of other people, which is, you know, evidenced by literal history, where almost every group has taken advantage of other people once they have enough money and power to do so. So um, libertarianism just ain't the answer. And how can I be critical of libertarianism and the government? I think it's pretty straightforward. I think pointing out the internal contradictions and how those contradictions contradict Christianity is pretty straightforward. Uh, so, for example, privatizing healthcare not good because you know people that offer insulin for thirty dollars now get crowded out because they're like, well, why don't we just instead offer it for three hundred dollars? Because the diabetics they can't do anything about it. F them. You know, and that companies know that diabetics and not just diabetics, but people with different health issues and different health needs have to, you know, they have to relent at a certain point. How do you argue with the one person who has a monopoly on the situation? You can't. Not a very Christian thing, bro. Second is I don't think we should try to 
fight to be included into the political. The political is a religion. It is a non-Christian religion, and I'll talk all about how that functions in a second. But lastly, even if voting did matter, it doesn't. Like, it doesn't do anything. Uh, there's a bunch of reasons why. There's slanted states in almost all states. Your state is predetermined to vote one way or the other. Your vote, personally, at an independent minor level, doesn't matter. You know what kind of matters? The times when they report back and they're like, you know, this many people didn't vote in this election. Maybe we should do something about that. I'm just saying, non-voting has just as much of an impact as voting. And whether you think that like military soldiers or whomever fought for your rights so that you can vote, they also fought for your right to choose to not to vote. As a, pretty crazy as it turns out. Um, of course, Russell Brand, comedian, points out that no political party that had the upper hand in terms of money ever lost an election. I think this might not be true in terms of 2016, but I have to look into it. The big point is, is we're not a democracy. We're an oligarchy. I don't exactly um, think I need to reframe that for every sort of political situation and moment. But the point is, is if you have a lot of money, you can market yourself. Uh, for example, 10 bucks of advertising increases your advertisement if you have like next to no followers on facebook and you throw 10 bucks in an ad it triple more than triples the amount of people that you would, in, it would potentially see your ad in the first place for a week imagine if you're deploying that at the level of millions and people already know who you are that's why i can't you know watch a goddamn youtube video without having biden or trump breathing down my neck it's very uncomfortable uh, of course, there's fake promises. We talked about this in the context of abortion. Both sides say that they're going to do something about it. Neither side do, which means like, who am I voting for? What single issue have I decided is most important? It generally isn't because they most politicians don't care about that. They care about preserving money uh, and preserving power. They have a job to try to maintain. They're not. It's not really about. Uh, you know, what kind of change they can do. It's about the reputation they can garner and create. It might be a pessimistic take, but honestly, I would love to see you try to apply it in sort of like non, you know, in issues where that's not the case. Even the younger, the sort of four, whatever their names are, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, there are times when I like respect things that she's saying and other times where I'm like, I just so radically disagree with this. I couldn't, couldn't put it into words. But like, even with AOC, I mean... AOC, I think, means well and wants to do good things. She comes out of the Bronx and she that's, you know, her district and whatever and what have you. But, like, AOC's on a warpath now. Like, she will probably be the face of the Democratic Party in the next couple of years um, because she's everything that Democrats love to take advantage of. She's a young, uh, you know, Latina you know, girl that like she's a, she's double minority. Like Democrats love abusing minorities and doing nothing for them. I don't make the rules. Um, so even though a lot of her stuff is probably good intention now, you have to question to what extent does that stuff track? Does it is it practical? Does she actually do things for the community that she comes from, or does she spend a lot of her time marketing herself? That is what politicians do. It's a categorical difference. Of course, and lastly, voting is negative for you. You should actively not do it precisely for this one reason alone, is it is the trick of political responsibility. It requires almost no effort. Politics, uh, voting is the least political thing you can do. Think of it this way. The government is meant to be kind of like a fake church. I say that in the sense that it is supposed to rescue you from violence. I'm going to have a quote from this in a second. But the idea here 
here is pretty straightforward. Politicians, you know, the government, you know, they pay for your roads, they pay for your health care, they pay for your uh, education, you know, and of course they don't pay for it, you pay for it, it's your taxes. But the point here is that everything is managed by the government. Uh, almost like how back in the day, everything in a town would be managed through the central force of the church. But it requires almost no effort for you to vote. You know, if you are a glutton and you need to do exercise so that you can serve your neighbor because you have to like walk up a hill to help them, you know, maybe mow their lawn or something like that, that obviously required quite a bit of work for you because you might be, um, you might be physically not at the same level that you would be able to do something else. But voting, is, it feels like you've done something. You get a little sticker and you feel like you've done your civic responsibilities and all this kind of nonsense. But honestly, did you really do anything? No, you've asked someone else to do something for you. You've deferred your responsibility onto a different person or a public body, which is a political body. It actually abdicates you from responsibility. It doesn't mean you've fulfilled any responsibility, which is, you know, an issue. If voting, now can you walk and chew gum at the same time? Does that mean, you know, said differently, can you volunteer in your community and also vote? Yeah, probably. Um, but like, you know, I guess like said differently, uh, if one, if you're less likely to do one because you won't even consider the other, you don't have time in your day and you don't have money in your pocket to, you know, donate to other people. And you don't, like I said, you don't have time in your day to give to other people. Then voting is probably not for you either because you're already not politically affirming other people. You don't care about your neighbors. You only care about what you want the world to look like from the comfort of your armchair as you watch television that tells you about the political news. So voting is bad because it tricks you into thinking you've done something when you in reality you haven't done anything for anyone else besides yourself. Moving on. So we should think about the political as a religion. Obviously, there's a lot of different ways in which this can be done. The first is the concept of political sovereignty. The literal design of democracy, which is the world we live in in America, is designed to be uh, self-serving. It comes out of the Enlightenment, Thomas Jefferson, Hobbes, Locke, all these people, uh, specifically in France, like the French parts of the Enlightenment, I guess partially English as well. Point is, there's a European Enlightenment that redefines what they think, you know, good governing should look like, and it's the will of the people. Now, I don't know if you heard me earlier, but we talked about the will of people. That will is corrupted by sin. So I don't know at what point you think that the majority opinion, if we just tackled as many people with all of their sins onto one another, that all of a sudden it masks over itself and no longer, it is no longer. Now we have a majority opinion that isn't, you know, somehow in intrinsically sinful and otherwise anti-Christian. There's a few reasons and ways in which this operates. Of course, the Enlightenment has a lot of very dis disturbing understandings of the world, of humanity. They take um, the understanding of sin nature, pervert it, and then apply it onto other people, but never themselves. Obviously anti-Christian because there's no sense of personal responsibility and atonement for sins. Uh, they project all of that onto African and indig indigenous persons, which is kind of an example of how that political mentality 
saw them as kind of like inherent savages and slaves. So they enslave one content, genocide another, and ah, voila, America is born. This is literally what democracy comes out of. Also, on the other hand, name a literally name a democracy that doesn't have slavery as a part of it doesn't exist all democracies come out of slavery because in order for there to be a sort of demos a person that is voting and has certain amount of rights they need to be able to have a certain amount of space and thought to sort of a certain um assert those rights and it always happens based off of social constructs of this is a good person that is a civic person uh, they should be thought of as such and these are people that are non-persons that you can compare them to a reason why certain people should have rights and vote off of these things and other people shouldn't you know it might be easy to sort of refer back to the declaration of independence be like all people are given rights life, life liberty and the pursuit of happiness first of all i don't think the christianity really cares about any of those things i mean christianity 100 percent cares about life that's like true you know christianity is the most life-affirming religion because the entire purpose of it is to die unto yourself for other people but liberty is a very specific thing the liberties that matter are the rights that you entertain that bring you closest to god you know and your ability to do that for others is also important i think i hear this a lot about like well what about non-christians like you know do you have a political system that's able to take care of them yeah absolutely the church is meant to do that because the purpose of the church isn't serving christians it's serving god and you know where you see god in the least of these which is you know we've talked about it in matthew so on and so forth which means that that bell quote that i talked about a couple of episodes ago about you know the church not being a building but a space seems like a good way for us to just freely give people that where we can't we can't be hurt in the opposite if they abuse us by taking too much of the food that we're freely giving people then the only thing we could should do is find ways to get more food to more hungry mouths doesn't matter where you come from doesn't matter what you do there may be certain things that you do that aren't wise for you like maybe you're a drug addict you need different help we should be able to offer you that help as well so it's not just food but now it's also health and medical services oh wow this sounds like something maybe like a government or something i'm on a roll i'm gonna keep rolling um so let's go back up to the top. The democracy is the will of the people. Theocracy is the will of God. We obviously don't live in a theocracy, so I don't really know why we're trying to adjust the kingdoms of man. The Bible is littered with examples where uh, kings either fall from power or because of their power and the privilege that comes from it, they start to they think of themselves a little too highly and as a, as a result they fall christ comes as the king of kings he is meant to humble all kings the point where uh you know he says he's the king of the jews and the jews flipped out and then he went to the rome uh went to the roman governor and pontius pilate asked him he's like hey are you they say that you're the king that would kind of undercut my authority are you the king he's like i am what they say i am ah 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 you know, because Jesus was from the Bronx. Uh, I don't make the rules. Jesus is probably not from the Bronx, but Jesus was black. So, you know, there's maybe a similarity there. Anyways, the point is the design of democracy is meant to maintain a majority opinion. That life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, yes, yeah, same document says that black people are three-fifths human and that indigenous people are indomitable savages that need to be sort of eradicated as a result. Yeah. So life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, but not for all people. Now, I know you're thinking, Alex, one, you're talking so fast. Please slow down. I don't have time to slow down. Slow it down on your own iPods or whatever. 
people don't have iPods anymore. Um, but two, you're probably also asking, well, Alex, that was a long time ago. It was 200 years ago. Things are better now. I don't know about that. One, I'm an indigenous person. I'm a, Lat- I'm a Latino. You know, I know certain experiences of this raciality. In fact, my dad called me the other day and told me like when he went to the doctor, some of the racist things that they said to him. And this isn't a personal, it's not subjective. They said things that if you heard other people say it to other people, you would gasp. You'd be like, oh my gosh, why would they say that? That's because these mentalities are caked into who we are. It's religiously affirmed because that religion is red, white, and blue. And that point is it shouldn't bleed for you that way. You should, you know, kind of die to a different religion with blood that is not mixed in colors, but sort of specific and authentically, uh, you know, bleeding for others, not for self, which is the purpose of democracy. Instead of affirming the majority, the least of these, the minority, finding solace into why they believe what they do. It's not to say that every minority opinion is a necessarily correct one. The point is it's the opposite. We shouldn't be thinking in the context of a majority-minority relationship because there's always people that are left out. And in this case, the people that are left out... Genocided turned into slaves. Also, it wasn't that long ago because 13th Amendment, might want to read that a little bit closer, says that you could still be a slave as long as you get imprisoned. And all these bogus laws we talked about up at the top about marijuana that take 60 plus 60 percent of the two point somewhat million person prison industrial complex. Yeah, black people. You know, it's kind of a way where they move the plantation to a different front and say, oh, well, if only they didn't commit any crimes, as if there are people that aren't targeting those people, i.e., how did we get 60% of over 2 million people, most of those 2 million, which happened in the last 40 years. That's such a small time for such a large amount of people. It might sound like 2.5 million, but you got to imagine that those people had families. So multiply that by four, and that's immediately where we start. It's the beginning, bare bones of the amount of people that are affected by the political religious system that wants to do two things, preserve its own life and get its own money. Doesn't sound very Christian to me. We can do this all day. So I talked about a few other things I was going to talk about, you know, in terms of uh, nationalism as faith. I had a friend who used to be in the army and said he just didn't feel comfortable with the idea of the way they venerate the flag. You know, if you don't stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance, you're sort of seen as like a heretic. Uh, I know this because I don't always stand for the Pledge of Allegiance and people look at me real funny and like, you know, you get nasty looks and stuff like that. You know, you literally train children since they're children to pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And that's pretty much how it ends for me. Now, of course, there's the line that says under God, but what God doesn't matter, doesn't specify because the American system isn't a religious one, is atheistic by design. It says that there will never be an official religion, which means even if there's a majority opinion in the democracy, it's still not Christian. America can't be Christian. It refuses to recognize God as God because it recognizes any God as the potential God because the only real God is you. You get to govern what you do and you have to have as many liberty and freedoms as long as you, you know, uh, fall in line to the sort of American way, which means that the Christianity and serving the Christian God is always subservient to that. It's the same exact thing that happens with, uh, I want to say, King Nebuchadnezzar and Meshach, Reshach, and Abednego definitely 
probably got those names wrong, where they were told to bend, you know, the knee to the political system that existed. And they said, no, we only bend the knee to one God, and that is Yahweh. And he said, okay, well, then you can die. And God kept them alive to kind of prove that there is no political system that's going to bend to the knees of Christians. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that every uh, Judeo-Christian person that has gone up against the political empire has gone and won. Of course, that's obviously not the case. You know, Christians were persecuted. Actually, the entire purpose of where Christianity comes from was persecuted by the country in which it was. The first example I gave above about the Hebrews were persecuted by Egypt. These are people that are political dissidents. Christianity is political, but always not, pretty much always not on the side of the government that exists. And the reason being is because we are considered to be sojourners in this world, immigrants, refugees. The idea here is that, I know I've said the idea here a lot, you know, forgive me, but is that we don't owe allegiance to any sort of particular political system. We only owe allegiance to one king. And where the laws of man and the laws of God differ, we always follow the laws of God, which is why those people get persecuted in the first place. Now, why doesn't that persecution exist in America, you might be asking? Reason being, because American Christians found a real easy way to make themselves comfortable by diluting parts of their faith. They have a lukewarm faith because it's easy to say, like, well, this is the most important part of my faith because it has the most sort of utilitarian impact. It affects the most people, which is, of course, not the Christian way. The Christian way is that you should do the right thing no matter what the cause which is what we see here in Christ. But, um, you know, for example, when America goes to war, what happened to turning the other cheek? What happened to forgiveness? These are the things Christ commands us to do. And people are real excited to, like, suit up in camo. You know, we haven't had a war where someone invaded us in over 50 years. So there's, don't give me any self-defense nonsense. We go to other countries and we bomb the hell out of them. We now have little robots that we can play PlayStation 2 on, and those drones go out and they murder... Middle Eastern children, you know, as long as that boy looks like he's older than 13, he's classified as a terrorist, and I'm not making this up, it's not propaganda, it was the law, and that law is what allows the America to kind of continue as is, and it's anti-Christian, because you're literally killing innocents. I can't imagine a world in which war is, one, maybe justified, maybe there's a debate about whether or not Christianity is inherently pacifistic or not. I'm willing to, like, you know, go toe-to-toe on maybe some thoughts, but... I would love to see like the justification that says we should actively go out and murder other people. It doesn't seem like the Jesus that I know. Uh, lastly, I want to talk about imagination and borders. There's this great Kavanaugh quote who wrote a book called Theopolitical Imaginations. It informed a lot of, it kind of like changed, I guess, a lot of what I thought about politics. A lot of the major theologians today, um, well, one, a lot of them are from England, but two, they like, they kind of laugh at Americans. They're like, oh, Americans care more about political theology because it's a very politically contentious place. I think that just means it's easy and comfortable and, you know, financially fort- fortuitous to be in England, but here nor there. 
Uh, Kavanaugh has this article, this book, and it's really good. And the quote's a bit long, so bear with me. It says, politics is a practice of the imagination. It's the art of the impossible, but it's always an art. It engages the imagination just as art does. We're often fooled by the seeming solidity of the materials of politics, its armies and offices, into forgetting pretty much that these materials are marshaled by the acts of the imagination. How does a provincial farm boy become persuaded that he must travel as a soldier to another part of the world and kill people he knows nothing about? He must be convinced of the reality of borders and imagine himself deeply, mystically united to a wider national community that stops abruptly at those borders. This, in the book, is an exercise in a different kind of political imagination, one rooted in the Christian story. He goes on to say that secular political theory is really theology in disguise, that the modern state is based on a soteriology, a theory of salvation, of rescue from violence. You know, when you recognize this as a heretical theology, uh, soteriology, it opens the doors to reimagine space and time along true theological lines. He goes on to even point out that the state as such does not exist. What exists are buildings and aeroplanes and tax forms and border patrols, but what mobilizes them into a project called the nation state is a disciplined imagination of a community occupying a particular space with a common conception of time, a common history, and a common destiny of salvation from peril. Instead, if we focus on the body of Christ, we would have a body wounded, broken by the powers and principalities, and poured out in blood offering upon this stricken earth. But this is also a body crossed by the resurrection, a sign of the startling eruption of the kingdom into a historical time and the disruptive presence of Christ, the king, to the politics of this world. Now, I jumped around a little bit with the quote, but if you read that book, I think you'd maybe get a lot out of it, because it proves that a America only exists in so far as we keep buying into it. I keep thinking of the inception quote that says, you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. Uh, because so many people are like, I couldn't possibly imagine the church taking over the government. I couldn't possibly imagine, uh, you know, an alternative to the government. And how could you? The government's so much bigger than you, an individual listener, is, you know, comparatively. But imagine if you didn't care about what the government could take away from you and what the government could give you, but only cared about what you could give others through the church. It's almost like the church would be able to perform miracles in the ways in which it hasn't been able to do for decades, if not hundreds of years, especially here in America. It's not to say the church doesn't do good things, not to say that miracles don't happen, but it is to say that there is a sort of categorical difference between how we think about the world and how we currently think about the church and what the church is abilities are, whatever it's, what's the realm of possibilities. I imagine a world where the church is able to offer free healthcare clinics, like the church I go to now here in Pittsburgh. I imagine a church that offers maternity clinics that says for young and unwed mothers that if you don't have a place to go, we'll take care of you. We'll carry you to term. We'll help you get a job. We'll put you on your feet. You know, I imagine a church that organizes protests in the same way that the black church both historically does and did. Um, not for the purpose of changing the government, but to affirm life no matter where it is, whenever it is disenfranchised. I imagine a church that has food pantries and food education classes so people not only can get healthy, but they can get free food from uh, companies and grocery stores that are throwing them out daily. 
food that is edible, that has not yet entirely expired, that you can survive on, that you could feed your family. I don't imagine a world where food scarcity still exists if the church is doing its job. I imagine a church that educates, a church that rewrites the news so it's not based in negativity. I imagine a church that is so political that it can't help but serve the entire world. And if you don't imagine that church, you kind of have to question, where is your faith? That's a pretty cool way to end it. Um, You know, some of you might be thinking, isn't America Christian? You know, I've talked about the Enlightenment and where we got our entire politics. I talked about slavery and genocide and the concept of democracy. I don't think America is Christian. I don't think if you voted for more Christians that America would suddenly become more Christian. I think America is designed to do what America is doing, which is to profit off of a certain group of people um, to maintain a certain way of life. That life affects the sort of majority rule. And if you find like that your life is pretty much unchallenged, both one, by that notion, but two, by a world in which America kind of continues as normal, it's because you benefit from being an American person, American citizen. I benefit in a lot of ways from being American, but my does my spiritual life? I can't say that it does. So... My hope is this. I pray that this acts as a challenge to you to step out in faith. Maybe don't vote. Maybe don't talk about politics on social media if that's your thing. Uh, Maybe be willing to listen to what other people say because the reason why people shift for policies, I saw this recently, isn't because they inherently care about the Democratic or the Republican Party, but because they care about certain needs that aren't being met. For example, I saw someone defending Planned Parenthood because Planned Parenthood offers rape counseling and, um, you know, STD testing and a host of other sort of uh, feminine female related, you know, concerns. They do that. The church doesn't. It's hard to imagine why people would want to care about what a bunch of Christians say. But I've found that my views are sort of popular among an interesting mix of people, some Christians, some not. But I think like the big thing here that's kind of interesting to me is that um, I don't really care if those views are popular. I'm actually very unpopular with a lot of people. I imagine this podcast episode won't take up, uh, you know, a ton of popularity and make me the sort of queen of the ball. But uh, I don't really care. It's about pursuing what is truth, what is good all the time, because all the time, God is good. So if we pursue God, I don't think we need the government. And not only do we not need it, I think we're able to actually be the people, the chosen people that God has called us all to be. Um, That's my hope. I think a lot of non-Christians might even be down with that. You know, hopefully if you are non-Christian, you're listening to this. uh, One, thanks for listening. It's really cool of you. Um, But two, Uh, You know, what are your needs and are they being met by the government currently? Are they being met by the church currently? What ways can we as the church come and affirm who you are? Uh, That's the world I want to see. So I'm a little over time. I don't want to take up everyone's time. And honestly, I was flying through this episode. I even had some things I didn't touch on uh, primarily because, you know, there's so much to cover. But step out in faith. Uh, you know, it might be scary and intimidating to not do anything come this Tuesday, but if that's only because you're not doing something, you know, maybe you won't vote, but maybe you can start a food pantry in your church. Maybe you can inquire to see what it would be to create a maternity ward that, 
you know, you can help facilitate for people if that's your thing. Maybe you can find ways to hear, uh, you know, if people of color, black and Latino and indigenous individuals are, you know, in need and maybe find out what the needs are in your community. How can you help serve those needs? That would be my challenge for you. So everybody knows the rules. We're at the last section of the day or second to last, which is what's good. For me, there's a couple of things that are good. I watched the final Digimon movie, Digimon Kazuna. Uh, it is the series finale, or at least so they say. You know, we'll wait five, ten more years and then see what they uh, want to do next because money is a hell of a drug. But, uh, man, that episode was so good. It was about uh, how aging is a bit like dying because you have to kind of say goodbye to your childhood after a certain point. And, man, if that isn't depressing and great all in one sort of confusing bow. So if you can, watch Digimon Kazuna uh, if you watched Digimon as a kid. Uh, a second thing that's good is, you know, I really got into it with some classmates today in my, in one of my classes about, you know, history and philosophy and race and epistemology, how we think about knowledge and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we have maybe some different ideas and opinions, but man, like learning from some of like the best minds, not just in this country, but maybe even the world it is, I'm always challenged, you know, I'm even challenged now in thinking about like, you know, how I can modify what I think, what is the most sort of like loving and true way to think about the world in relation to what we were thinking about. So this is a shout out to that class of individuals. Uh, they know who they are. Um, so that's what's good. And then third thing that's good is, uh, you know, I haven't really eaten today, but food. Food is so good. So I'm going to leave this and go eat. I'm, I know I'm putting this out late. However late you get the podcast, it, it didn't end before 10. I'll tell you that. So, uh, you know, food is good and I want to go eat some food. So let's pray it out and I'm going to go eat. So, Lord Thank you for this day. Thank you for faith. I know that faith can feel like a sort of radical impossibility. We thank you for knowing that you sent your son in the form of Jesus Christ. So we know that faith is at all times scary, but at all times real and possible and human. Lord, I pray that we have faith that you are enough. Lord, I pray that we trust that to change our lives so that we act in ways that serve our community as you have commanded us to do. And Lord, for everyone that is listening, I pray for blessings of healing and discernment, for strength as they go about their days that they're able to, you know, make the most out of it in ways that would be honoring and glorifying unto you. I pray for goodness to be blessed everywhere. And as we go into these sort of turbulent times, and we're already in turbulent times, I pray we hold on to the one thing that is stable, the thing that is you. Amen. Guys, gals, everyone, who cares? Uh, thanks for listening. You know, uh, I always appreciate when folks, you know, think things. If you have some ideas about this, feel free to hit me up. If not, uh, like I said, thanks for listening. This is Alex, the Pagan Christian Podcast. See you in a bit.